0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Greetings and welcome to the Believe Nicks Podcast. Matthew Miranda, as always, joined by Stacey Patton. But this is an exciting podcast for us because this is our first Nick playoff preview podcast of all time. So mark the date. The time to keep your tickets up. This one is historic, and because of the historic nature of this pod, we had to have a special guest who I will introduce in a second. Before that, today's antiquated ad read is as follows Bet online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet online. Updated odds for everything from live games, the conference championships, right through to the Final Four and championship game. I can't imagine how updated the odds are, given that that's all finished, but this is the ad read. BetOnline is your college basketball headquarters this season, and presumably next. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLEAV, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag where the game starts. And where the pod starts is introducing today's guest. Our guest is a self-proclaimed unfortunate obsessive of the Cleveland Cavaliers. You can find them on Twitter at Bray underscore underscore NBA. Uh, And there is a Substack coming out soon also, so keep a lookout for that. For the first, but hopefully not last time, let us welcome to the pod Brayden Todd. Brayden, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. It's a lovely day up here in Lower Michigan. So thanks for having me on.
2: <laughs> Where in Lower Michigan are
1: you? I'm attending Spring Arbor University currently, so um okay. by close to Ann Arbor.
2: Yeah, I went to I went to Ann Arbor, so that's pretty gotcha. cool. Gotcha,
1: sweet.
0: Yeah. Is Spring Arbor like a suburb of Ann Arbor? It's
1: no, it's about forty five minutes away. So okay. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what it is with arbors up here, but...
0: There's uh, there's a lot of
2: trees in Michigan. In case yeah, <laughs> there, there is.
0: Uh, I can't laugh because I live in Rochester, and there's literally... There's the east side of Rochester, but then there is a town called East Rochester that is miles and miles east of Rochester, so uh, I don't know what some of our ancestors are doing with town names, but that's for them to deal with. We're still alive, and we're talking about the Knicks and the Cavaliers. Um First, Braden, I just want to ask my first question about a series that I think a lot of people are excited about. Often, the four or five matchup, you're hoping that's a fair fight. This one seems to me like a pretty good one. I keep reading a lot from the national press, not necessarily the local Cleveland press, about it's the first time the Cavs have been to the playoffs since LeBron was there, and it's the first non-LeBron team since I think 1998. Do you do you get any kind of a sense of is there a different feel or vibe or appreciation to Cavalier fans that this is a post LeBron thing, or is that the national media picking up on a a stat that maybe doesn't mean anything to the fans?
1: No. Yeah. I think, I think there is definitely something to that for sure. Um, so I mean, for me personally, this is the first time the Cavs have made the playoffs without LeBron since I've been alive. Um, so this is something different. Um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, homegrown element to it with Darius Garland and Evan Mobley leading the charge, drafted both of those guys, Isaac Okoro as a starter. Um, then, you know, just bringing in Jared Allen and Donovan Mitchell. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's cool seeing the team together rather than um, just everybody hopping on LeBron's back for the ride. And yeah, just an element of unknown to what these Cavs are going to look like. So I think there's definitely excitement there.
0: Do I take that to mean that if the Cavs next year could replace Isaac Okoro with LeBron James, that you would be against it because you're tired of seeing them on his back?
1: So that's actually a controversial thing to talk about among Cavs fans. Is it? I'm 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 pro LeBron coming back if if that's on his agenda. There are a lot of Cavs fans who are pretty particular to this group though and would prefer to ride them out.
0: Is it more a preference for the current group or is it something against LeBron in some sense?
1: Yeah, that's oh, There wow. are there are some there are some people who, you know, just have a little bit of an itch with LeBron with him leaving twice. Um, I mean, then there's some people who just think he's past the age of wanting to be a complimentary piece alongside what the Cavs already have. So, you know, you got a lot of differing opinions there, more than you'd probably expect. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that that makes a lot of sense. Kind of um, Before we get into the matchups as well, there is a kind of philosophical thing because... I think when you talk about building a contender and the Cavs very much seem to be, if not like they're on the cusp for sure. And like, like personally, I just think it's a matter of when does Evan Mobley become an MVP level player like that to me, but Mitchell has played at that level this year and they've played at, um, I think Pythag actually says that they've outperformed their record. Uh, if you look at net ratings, they should probably play like a 57 win team. But it's very tough to deny that, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know if they make the, or at least for Knicks fans, it made a lot more sense to us for Cleveland to make the Donovan Mitchell trade because you have two guys on, um, on rookie deals. Did they extend Garland yet or?
1: Sorry, I, I cut out for a second. I don't know if you um, got that, but yeah.
2: Yeah, they, they have two guys on rookie deals, right? Evan Mobley and Garland. Uh, who are really talented, and they could afford to make a move like that, um, whereas the Knicks were not in that position before this season. So I guess the question is, um, you know, on the one hand, it seems like there's a lot of homegrown talent. The Cavs have made smart moves. On the other hand, are the Cavs, like, another piece of evidence that, like, at some point you have to get lottery, or you have to, like, end up high in the lottery to, to like, it's tough to, to build a contender without that?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say so. I think um, it's very important to have that, you know, that guy that you're willing to build around before you look into making your other all-in move to pair next to them. Um, so, yeah, with the Cavs, earlier, early on in the rebuild, we were looking for that guy, you know, had Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, um Picked up Jared Allen, all solid young guys, but not quite that guy who you're confident in can take the leap to all NBA MVP level play. Um, yeah, you look at the Hawks; they got Trey Young, felt confident to add in DeJunte Murray. That's gone a little bit south, but you know, once you have that core um, in place and that one guy you're confident in, um, I think Evan Mobley, what he showed his. Rookie year, just I mean, get, made the Cavs' front as very confident in what they have going forward. Just a very special player on both ends of the floor. Um, I,
2: do, you, do you think they wouldn't have made the Mitchell trade if, like, let's say they did get Jalen Green, or mm-hmm. if it was a player who hadn't shown that much as a rookie?
1: Yeah, I would. I would say so. Um, so. Yeah, you'd you'd probably want to add like another another key player if you end up with. Uh, a lesser young, young player like Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs or a guy among that caliber.
2: Or even a guy like Franz, right? Like, I mean, uh, terrific player, Mm. Franz, Scotty Barnes, like that's a different, I think level of prospect from, from Mobley, right. Who I think off the bat, I mean, he he probably is deserving of at least first team, all defense, if not the best player. Um, and yeah, like what he's 20, 20 now, 21. Mm. Um, so I think that's like, they have like, you know, I think that that definitely makes sense. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's tough to um, it's tough to like conceive building a winner without that kind of lottery luck. Um, you know, the Knicks haven't been fortunate. Um, they got the third pick. They did get RJ Barrett, um, but a lot of it has had to be developing prospects later in the draft. But I think the missing piece and perhaps the difference in this series is that as good as Brunson and Randall have been, the Knicks don't have quite the, you know, that MVP level caliber player that Mitchell has played like for much of this season. But um, I think the question for the Knicks is like they build a good team, and the top end talent is tough, and that's why even now, even at the at, at the end of this season, there's Knicks fans who are like, oh, you know, we gave up the pick for Josh Hart, we don't have a first round pick this draft, and we maybe we should have tanked or something. Um, so, I, but you know, there is something to it in that not. I, I, I'm not an advocate of tanking, but it does seem like getting that kind of a player either requires gutting your roster or, you know, having a very poor season. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did want to check in a little bit about the series, like, um, you know, big playoff series, and, and we want to talk about some of the key matchups. Um, so I'll, I'll start with this. How um, I think Knicks fans... I, I wouldn't say I'm confident. I did feel like Cleveland was the best matchup out of the top four seats for us. And that's not a knockout on Cleveland. Uh, I think it speaks to just how good the top three teams are. Milwaukee has Giannis and Drew were elite defenders at the same position as our two best offensive players. Um, Boston, when healthy, might be the best team in the league. Uh, and Philadelphia, Embiid, the Knicks haven't had a solution for him. Um, and, you know, so given that, I think Knicks fans are are cautiously optimistic. That's where I am um, with Randall hurt. I'd probably still predict the Cavs winning, but I think I'm cautiously optimistic, um, but definitely want to gauge, uh, you know, what's, what's your temperature and, and, maybe the temperature of Cavs fans going into the series.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a fair opinion to have um, Cavs, I'd say are, you know, just probably a tier below the top three in the East. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, um, I'd say the general opinion among Cavs fans is that they expect to come out of this series with the win, but acknowledging that it won't be easy. It'll be a tough fight. Um, The Knicks won this year. And those games are both sides. Um, The Cavs fans acknowledge um, just that this, this Knicks team won't be an easy out Um, a lot of deep, I mean, a deep team, um, youthful energy and yeah, Randall and Brunson have been great this year.
2: And, um, you know, when you're when you're talking about matchups, right, I know it's tough to boil down a series like this, but not maybe not even individual matchups. Right. But like stylistic, you know, like, I guess, like, what do you think it's going to come down to, um, you know, if you had to to boil a few things they're going to be watching out for in this series?
1: Yeah, um, I'd say the two matchups I'm looking closest at is um, Randall with how the Cavs guard Randall and I mean also just like when he'll be available in this series. Um, I saw something saying that he's hoping to be back for game one but you never quite know with these things. Um, Mm -hmm. So I know Randall's uh, players among Randall's archetype have given the Cavs some trouble this season, especially when you got Mobley on him. Um, the Cavs love to have Mobley roaming, over helping to, to an extent. And I mean, when you're able to kick the ball out to Randall on the perimeter, when he has space ahead of him, attacking a scrambled defense, um, I think. That could prevent some problems for the Cavs this series. Trying to contain him off of Brunson and Barrett drives. Um, then I'd say the other one I'm keeping an eye on is how the Knicks defend Garland. Uh, Darius is he's and he's an up and down player at times. Um, uh, there's there's some teams that have seemed to been able be, be able to. Um, Pull out the stops on him. you get, He struggles against guys with more size and quicker feet. Um, he's not an overly athletic or bursty player, more quick twitch and highly skilled. Um, so I'm assuming the Knicks will put Barrett on him. So just seeing how RJ is able to deal with him, navigating screens, um, defending him in the mid-range and whatnot, I think that'll be interesting to see how that unfolds.
2: Do you, do you expect them to attack more on offense? Is that the matchup you think the Cavs will go after, like Garland on Barrett, putting Barrett in screens, or do you think they maybe hunt Brunson with Levert, or you know, will we see more Okoro, just so that you can? I think that's a big trade off, right? If you you play Okoro, you can put him on Brunson, and that is like those are the kinds of defenders. I mean, Brunson scored on pretty much everyone, but Okoro is 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 the kind of guy who can who can slow him down a little bit, or make him hit tougher shots. Um, but the trade-off is then, you know, Brunson can hide on defense a little bit more on a Okoro. And maybe, or maybe not. Maybe that's a misconception. Um, but if you put Lavert out there, there's nowhere really for Brunson to hide. So, A, I, I guess my questions are, do you expect, you know, RJ to be, you know, attacking RJ either by putting him in ball screens with Garland, um, you know, getting away to get Mitchell match up on RJ? Do you expect that to be focal point or maybe more, um, you know, attacking wherever Brunson is?
1: Mm. Yeah, now that's a good question. Um, I think there is a little bit of an unknown with how the Cavs will go about this. With this, I mean, being the first time this group is together in the playoffs, um, Garland and Mobley—it's their first playoff series, so we're yet to see how they'll handle the playoff environment. I and mean, Bickerstaff, even also, he's only coached in one playoff series before, so it'll be interesting to see what adjustments they make in game. I think heading into the series, we'll see a lot of Donovan Mitchell, um, not quite heliocentric offense, but we'll be giving the ball to him a lot. Um, Garland is a really good off-ball player, which has really helped him mesh with Mitchell this year, um, just being active, running off screens off-ball. So I think we'll see a lot of toggling between those two. Um, and, yeah, as I mentioned with Okoro, He's he's improved as a shooter this year, but he's still a guy that teams sag way off of. Um, they're okay with him shooting it. He doesn't like to shoot it a lot. So i um, going to need him to confidently be able to put up five, six threes a game. Um, we'll see what comes from that. Cavs that have experimented using him as a screener at times this year. Um, so uh, they could be using that to get Brunson onto Mitchell if... Um, if Brunson is matched up on Koro, which he probably will. Um, haven't had a lot of success with that. So Koro's I mean, he's only 6'5", doesn't have a lot of size, so he's pretty easy to um, just avoid as a screener. But, yeah, I think they'll definitely try to do a bit of that.
2: And is he good at, you know, has he shown a lot in short roles? So if the Knicks were to, like, momentarily hedge and recover their is that something that the Cavs have been pretty good at exploiting with, you know, Mitchell or especially with a Coral, but in, in I mean, I know Mobley is good at that, but,
1: right. uh, you know, with
2: a Koro as a screener, is that something he's pretty adept at? Or?
1: I wouldn't say so. I mean, he's just a smaller target to get the ball to on the roll. If you're able to blitz the ball handler for a second, it's a pretty easy recover. Um, and he's not a guy, I'd be too confident taking a few dribbles in the, in the middle of the floor. Um, He's he's a really good passer, but he just isn't very isn't a very comfortable on ball player. Um, so I I don't think we'll see a lot of that to be honest. Matt, I want to throw this
2: question to you as well. What are some of the the top two or three things that you're keeping an eye on? Um, and then like the follow up, and I'll throw this to both of you is also like. If the Cavs win this series, how do you expect that to look like? And if the Knicks win this series, what will that look like? But first, Matt, what are the the top couple of things you're, you're keeping an eye out in this
0: series? Um, yeah. First to your earlier question, Garland is extended through 28. Um, as to your question now, and I was actually going to ask Braden about this, I am extremely interested in what happens for the Cavaliers between Levert or Okoro in this series. I feel that I talked to Stacy about this a little bit, maybe like a week ago. I think Okoro can be an enormous swing in the series because if he is at all effective on offense, they can, they can do some things defensively that I think would really help them, particularly, as you said, against Brunson. If Okoro is not shooting well, I assume we're going to see more of Levert. And Karis Levert, since he was a net, has been one of the most... I don't have a feel for him at all. You watch some night, and I'm sure you see that. I don't know if, if he's still like this, but there were nights you would see him play in Brooklyn and, like, this guy is an all-star. This guy is a future. He's a steal. More people are going to know his name. And the more I've watched his career progress, I don't know what he is. Like, he's he does a lot of things, but I don't know, especially on that team, I feel like – so what I'm getting to is I know that Garland, even though it's his first playoff, and who knows how how people respond, I am confident Darius Garland is not going to just, like – Crap the bed. Like I think he's gonna he's gonna score and he's gonna do things. We know what Donovan Mitchell does in the playoffs. Jared Allen's game, I think, is pretty playoff proof. Like he is what he does translates. And Mobley is I'm just as much as I want the Knicks to win, I am excited as a fan of the game just to see. Let's see what Evan Mobley does now on the big stage. I have and with the Knicks, obviously they're my team, but like I know what Mitchell Robinson will do. If Randall is healthy, I think I know what he'll do. Even if he's not, I know what Obi Topping can do. I know what Grimes and Barrett and Brunson can do. I have no feel for that fifth Cavaliers starter, and I'm curious. I was going to ask you this question, Braden: If two weeks from now the Cavaliers are done and they've lost to the Knicks, is it more likely that? Oh, that's the wrong question. Do you are you more confident in? what Okoro might do in the series, what Levert might do in the series, or do you feel that they're both question marks kind of equally?
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, the Cavs have I mean, that small forward spot. It's just kind of been a revolving mm-hmm. door all year. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we started out the year some... Um, I mean, Karis had the starting small forward position early on in the year, um, then moved him back to towards the bench later on, um, just trying to distribute the touches and ball-handling possessions. Um, And we saw some Dean Wade at starting small forward before he got hurt. Now, Okoro's taken the position, and he's played well there. But, yeah, it's still a question mark pretty much no matter who's occupying that. Um, I'd say in last year's play-in, actually, Okoro's minutes were severely limited just because the Cavs couldn't afford to have him out there offensively. And so I'm interested to see if Baker staff is as quick to pull the rope on him in this year's playoffs. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. I think he's got more confidence to, to his game this year and more confident attacking off the catch, more confident letting it fly. But yeah, offensively, still a big question mark with no real answers to that. And yeah, as far as has go, it's been Quite the roller coaster season for him, which is kind of the story of his career.
0: Mm-hmm. Luckily,
1: not a lot of injury problems for him, uh, yeah. which it's also been a thing with him. But yeah, a guy who really has Cavs Nation divided. There are a lot of trade rumors swirling for him earlier on. Been struggling to finish inside the arc this season. Um, mm. I think the lack of shooting on the Cavs has played a factor in that, you know, just playing with guys like a Mobley Allen, just not a lot of space in there. If you're not a high level finisher. And so, yeah, Karis has really struggled in there at the rim. He struggled to get his mid range going. I think he's one of the like bottom five mid range shooters this year, which is normally an area where he's been able to lean on in the past. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'd say one thing he does do exceptionally well at, and he's found a lot of success doing for the Cavs, especially as of late, is just uh, finding a way to get by his initial man. He's got some, he's got a good first step, long strides. He can get by his man uh, somewhat easily. And then, I mean, even if he's out of control getting into the rim, he does a good job at good job at drawing in the big and dumping it off to either Mobley or Allen, whoever's there at the rim for an easy finish. He's been consistently producing like two or three of those easy looks for Mobley and Allen at the rim. So I think it'll be interesting to see if like quickly Hart uh, Barrett, if they can keep him out of the rim, they can force him into tough shots because he can definitely be a swing player for the Cavs this series.
0: One of the nice Characteristics of this Nick team, which I don't think I've seen possibly ever in my lifetime, is the number of players who impact the game on both ends of the floor. Not just the starters, but even if you go to the Nick bench, Emmanuel Quickly is the number brilliant defensively, does a lot of things on offense. Josh Hart, we know, does things on both ends. Even Isaiah Hartenstein, it doesn't always show up offensively in the numbers, but he is a factor on both ends. Trivia question, Braden Todd. Who is the best two-way player on the Cleveland bench?
1: The Cleveland bench. I
0: You can say none of the above because everything I have read (laughs) from Cavalier website sounds like you mentioned Wade. He struggled with his shooting this year. We know that C.D. Osman can score. He struggled with his defense. Ricky Rubio hasn't looked the same. How do you feel about I feel going into the series, the one thing that I'm looking at where maybe the Knicks have an edge even though I don't know how Tom Thibodeau's minutes will go, is I think the Knicks have a better bench, but you've seen the Cavs much more than we have. Is this a weak spot? Is this an overrated concern? Is it, you know, one night the bench is great and one night they struggle? How do you feel going into this series about the Cleveland bench?
1: Yeah, I think you can confidently say the Knicks have the upper hand there. It's been an issue for the Cavs most of the season, just trying to find some sort of rhythm outside of the top four guys. Uh, to answer your first question, um, I'd say Karis Levert probably does yeah. nab that honor as a top two-way player. Um, mm-hmm. Not a great defender, but he's definitely upped his game since coming to Cleveland. Bickerstaff uh, tends to have that effect on guys just getting them to buy in and sell out defensively. Um, he's a bit awkward, doesn't have the best footwork, um, has long legs, can get caught up on screens. But you know he's active in the passing lanes. He shuffles his feet, tries his best. Um, then you know some ga- some da- games he can give you twenty. Some games he gives you five points on poor efficiency. So <laughs> that's always mm-hmm. a toss toss up. But if Dean Wade was fully healthy, I'd yeah. say it's probably him. But he's been struggling since coming back from his shoulder injury. Mm-hmm.
2: It's. It was very. I thought he gave actually quickly a lot of problems the last time the Cavs and Knicks played. Um, it seemed like they were very aggressive. They used weight on him a lot, but generally throwing bodies at quickly. I hadn't seen like. I think he still ended up with a good statistical game, and he bounced back in the second half. But I loved some of the looks that they were throwing at him, and I didn't love him as a Knicks fan. But I thought they were very creative. Um, and I hadn't frankly since quickly has come off the bench. This is that's one of the first times I've really seen it. It felt like they tailored some of their plan.
0: Oh, apparently Stacey is no longer interested in this conversation. And he has to, there he is. Hey, there you go. All right. We lost you for a
2: moment. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess, um, you know, in terms of you know, last game, obviously the Knicks had a lot of offensive success. The Cavs, I think, finished with the top defensive rating in the league. Um, you know, Jared Allen coming back is going to be big. Isaac Okoro coming back is going to be big. Um. You know what kind of defensive adjustments do you anticipate? Whether it's on Brunson or, you know, pick and roll defense, do you think they they might trap more aggressively with Mobley? Do you think they might, um, and we might see more pressure looks or those kind of things? Um, you know, how, how have they dealt typically with with problems like the ones that the Knicks pose?
1: Yeah, uh, so the Cavs are an interesting team defensively. You got the. The front court, full of high-level defenders, Acuna, Mobley, Allen. Then the back court, you got Garland and Mitchell, who are iffy at best. Um, the thing the Cavs do have going for them is that, I mean, they all compete. Even Garland and Mitchell, they they play hard, especially um, in the playoffs. We'll see them take another step up. I'm I'm interested to see how Donovan Mitchell steps up. We've seen him play some. High-level defense this season, probably the best since he's been in the league. Um, hmm. so we knew we knew in college coming into the NBA that he had the ability to be a high-level defender. Just haven't seen that consistently at all in Utah, but starting to see flashes of that again. Um, as far as schemes go, um, Aaron Okora will be on Brunson, and I'd say he's among the top point-of-attack defenders in the league. Um, just has developed into a very good guy at uh, just bothering the ball hander, fighting through screens, staying close, not giving up anything easy. Um, with with Allen, uh, I think we'll see a lot of drop coverage. They like to play him at the level and just kind of have him backpedal, uh, trying to prevent the lob and the floater at the same time, just trying to play that in-between game. Then uh, if we see Mobley get involved in Pick and rolls, that's that's where things get interesting. They they use Mobley in a lot of different ways. Um, I think we'll see him switch a bit more. Um, I think we saw that in the last matchup versus the Knicks. We saw Mobley get switched onto to Brunson a lot, with Lamar Stevens being the uh, point-of-attack defender. And, yeah, some mixed results there. Some guys can get Mobley uh, if they're quick if they can get into his chest and knock him off balance a little bit but yeah both Mobley and Allen can really move their feet on the perimeter um i think Brunson's the kind of guy who can exploit that a little bit though so i'm i'm excited to see that
2: yeah i thought the Mobley Brunson matchup was really fascinating to watch cuz i actually thought Mobley did a good job moving his feet and then like some of the shots i mean Brunson was just on one that night i think he hit he hit like a dirk like one one legged jerk fit away over Mobley. he had one where Mobley had
0: I'm not gonna say anything because I saw what happened last time there we go <laughs> good stace there we go Can you hear me? Yes, yeah. now we can hear you yeah, so I, he just
2: created the the smallest of windows. Um, and like to create to create this little bunny, and it was excellent. So I think that I thought Mobley played good defense, and it often just didn't matter because Brunson was on one. Well, I think that is a little bit. I don't know if this was where Matt was going, but to me, that's a little bit of a fear because the last time the Knicks were here in the playoffs, we all felt really good about that team, and and almost everyone turned into a pumpkin, right? And what happened to now? Brunson has done this in the playoffs. So, I'm a little bit more confident that he would avoid some of the struggles that Randall had. But who knows if Randall isn't healthy and the defense can key in on Brunson? The Knicks have added some guys, but, um, and, and they've still been an effective offensive team without Randall. That's definitely a concern. I also ask this. So, one area the Knicks thrive on offense, they are, uh, so, so the way the Knicks like to play, you know, they finished, they ended up finishing second in the league in offensive rating. It's a pretty simple formula. Um, I think it starts really with dribble penetration. So Brunson is the obvious one. But Brunson, IQ, RJ Barrett, and Randall can all attack the rim and draw bodies in the paint. This allows them to take a lot of corner threes. I think they were third in the league in corner three frequency. They get to the line a lot. the last thing it does is this dribble penetration... Uh, I think they have like Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hardenstein are both excellent rebounders, Mitch I think might be the best offensive rebounder in the league, but a lot of that also is buoyed by the fact that Brunson draws so much attention. It's those Kobe assists, or even if it's a drive and kick to your point before, if the defense is scrambling, um, you know, that um, that can lead to offensive rebounding opportunities. Uh, And they added Josh Hart, who's been big on the glass, the question for me is like on on the one hand, the Cavs, are the top defensive team in the league or statistically they were, but they're also one of the worst defensive rebounding teams. Uh, so the two questions I'll ask is one, how much of that is a Jared Allen thing when he's not playing, they just look worse and he's missed time. So how much does the rebounding improve with him in? And the other thing is like, to to what extent do the Cavs care? Because they're fine having Mobley roam and, and do all these things because clearly the defense, the results are there. So they're like, yeah, get as many rebounds as you want. But, um, but you're just not going to get good shots because of, of how we deploy Evan Mobley and, and move everybody around. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, there definitely is good data to back up the fact that the Cavs are a lot worse rebounding without Jared Allen on the floor. And so yeah, lately they've struggled on the boards, but Jared's been hurt. So that plays a role into it. But at the same time, Allen's not going to be on the floor for all 48 minutes. And so yeah, that's a legitimate question about what the Cavs are going to do in the non-Jarrett minutes. Um, I mean, for for how good Mobley is, he's not the best rebounder. He can definitely get bodied by Mitchell Robinson specifically, and Hardenstein could get, could give him some trouble there. Um. So yeah, I.
2: So so do you think? But do you think the rebounding issues are more to Mobley not being strong enough, maybe, or or is it more that he's tasked with so many help response? I mean helping and contesting and rebounding like there's very few guys who are great at both right um i think that's that's why people like claxton so much i think that's an area mitchell robinson's really good at but do you think it's more mobley you know poor rebounding fundamental or not you know rebounding fundamentals that are still developing or is it more he's just tasked with so much it's having to contest everything that it's impossible for him to really help out as much on the glass
1: yeah i think that plays a big role um Yeah, he's the glue that makes Cleveland's defense work. Um, He flies all around the floor. He leads the league in, I I think he's second in the league in contested shots behind Brooke Lopez. Um, And so, yeah, Cleveland does a lot of rotating defensively. You got Mobley flying around to cover up something, then somebody else rotates in to fill in his spot. Um, And the result of all that rotating is a lot of mismatches in the wake of it all and so you might end up a position with Donovan Mitchell on Mitchell Robinson um, at the end of a sh- at the end of a shot and most of the time that's an easy rebound for Mitch um, Mitchell Robinson I should specify both <laughs> <and> Mitchell <laughs> um, and so yeah I think we'll see a lot of that uh, there will definitely need to be a team factor buying in for Cleveland just to Help Jarrett and Mobley out on the boards down low because the Cavs the Cavs aren't going to change their game plan to um, put those two guys in more of a, a better position to rebound the ball.
2: One one else one other thing I've seen from them, uh, they like it seems like they've dabbled a little bit at least in four or five pick and rolls with Mobley as the ball handler. Do you think we see a lot of that? Um, you know, especially maybe if if Randall's hurt or, um, you know, uh, how have they used that? And do you think that's something that they might make a pretty significant part of the game plan?
1: I wouldn't say you see a lot of it. Um, There have been some reps of that in the regular season. I think a lot of that is, you know, just trying to give Mobley his fair share of reps to develop his game for the future. I wouldn't say Mobley is a source of, very efficient offense at this stage of his game. I think he'll be, that will continue to grow in the future and someday that will be the case. But as of now, I think we'll see the offense heavily revolve around Mitchell and Garland. Uh, We might see Mobley get the ball some in the high post just and have the guys move around him, maybe give him a couple face-up possessions. Um, I wouldn't say that's a heavy part of their offensive game plan though in the playoffs.
0: Before I ask my next question, Braden, it's time for our mid-episode trivia question. I don't know if Stacy knows the answer to this. I figure you probably do, um, but I want to see if Freda knows it as well. There is one former Nick on your Cleveland Cavaliers roster. Do you know who that player is? Let me think. Stacy, without one. without saying it, do you know who it is? No. Ooh, this is a good one.
1: Oh, I'm for. And I'm this forgetting. is this is a
0: former Nick that has an underrated significance, I would say, to their recent history. <laughs> well, recent being 7 years ago.
1: It's not Robin Lopez, is it? It is Robin no.
0: Lopez. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it is so before I explain why Robin Lopez is oddly significant, just I forget he's he's on play the Keros. For them ever with those two <laughs> bigs, does Robin Lopez ever play? Uh,
1: no, he's he's okay. a deep deep depth piece.
0: I feel like they're saving him for the Buck series, but uh has <laughs> yeah. got he's got un, un, unmatched vibes though, so <laughs> that was oh, for that. He's still one of my he was here one year and he's still one of my favorite Knicks. And he, he was, was actually where, really
2: good. I like I liked him a was, lot and yes. I did not think they needed to upgrade to Noah <coughs> but go ahead.
0: That was ended upgrade. up not being an upgrade, obviously. That was a upgrade but, Robin Lopez was where Phil Jackson first screwed up because Lopez was great next to Porzingis, because Lopez would do the physical work and the banging and a lot of the rebounding. KP was great playing alongside him. Then Jackson traded Lopez for Derrick Rose the first run, which was not nearly as good as Derrick Rose the second <laughs> run. And then Porzingis was stuck doing more of the work that really was best suited to Robin Lopez. My question is not about Robin Lopez, though. My question is about Evan Mobley's offense. Um, has he, what have you seen this season from Mobley? And if you have, where have you seen growth in his offensive game from mm-hmm. a year ago?
1: Yeah, I'd say, I mean, from day one, I'd say the thing that stuck out to me is just how confident Mobley is. He's mm-hmm. always been a quiet guy. Um mm-hmm. And th- that was a legit concern with him going into the draft. There were a lot of people making a big deal of how quiet and soft-spoken he is, and questioning if he really has a strong passion for the game of basketball. Does he have that dog in him, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's definitely been proven false. Um, He's just, yeah, I I really appreciate how confident he is in his actions, how deliberate he is in his moves. Um, plays with a great sense of patience, lets things develop, and chooses the right time to attack. Um, I'd say this season, the biggest area of growth we've seen is just him um, doing the little things as a big man, just rounding out that area of his game. Uh, We've seen him be much more confident as the sole big man on the floor when Jared Allen's not out there. He's Im- improved tremendously as a screener, despite his slight frame. Just getting all the positioning down and the timing of when to slip, um, when to hold your spot, and just getting the, just getting all the short roll stuff down. Um, being able to scan the floor, um, hit some floaters, take the extra dribble, throw in some hop steps. Just really developing all the counters. Uh, and stuff that you want to see as a rim-rolling big man and as a release valve down there. Mm
0: -hmm. Cleveland is a very different, I think, energy than New York City is, obviously, particularly toward their sports teams. But we all share the madness of NBA Twitter. So I'm curious, if the Knicks win this series, do you think Cleveland fans will consider this season? Like two years ago, the Knicks had a wonderful regular season. The playoffs were such a disappointment. But I think it contaminated for a lot of people, the good that had happened. Do you think mm-hmm. the Cavs lose in six or seven competitive games? Will the fan base feel more like, okay, this sucks, but we got a lot of stuff going for us, this is good. Or do you think it will really put kind of a, a damper on where they seem to be ascending toward?
1: Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's something that will obviously suck in the moment, but mm-hmm. get over it relatively quickly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's some expected uh, bumps in the road with it being, with the general lack of playoff experience for this team, especially with two of the key cogs, Garland and Mobley, with it being their first run. Um, yeah, I mean, as long as Donovan Mitchell shows that he can uh, be his usual dynamic self and um, just show that we belong, um, I mean, we'll just right along the expected improvements with Mobley. Um, I, as Stacy hinted at it earlier, I think he's a future all NBA lock um, potential MVP candidate in the future. So if you can give him a, a year, a couple more years, I think that's when the Cavs really hit their contender level. Once Mobley is playing at his highest level alongside Donovan Mitchell in his, the late stages of his prime, um, yeah, is there is there a comp you have for Mobley? I, on my on the other
2: pod I host with uh with Schwinnie Poo, um I think early on he said there's Tim Duncan vibes there, especially with the post footwork, the uh, the footwork on defense, like just a lot of the things you're talking about in terms of the deliberate but like polished there. Um, you know, is there a comp you have for him or?
1: Yeah, it's it's tough because I mean, yeah, he's such a unique player. I think the only ones you can really compare him to are like you know yeah tim duncan kevin garnett um there's a little bit of anthony davis there um i don't think any of those are perfect comps but i think yeah i think he's just his own guy to an extent is very talented in its own way
0: i have a happy question for you and a not happy question which (laughs) one which one do you want first
1: let's do not happy
0: okay How low will you feel in two years if Donovan Mitchell signs with the Knicks?
1: (laughs) Oof. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I don't like that question. Okay, let me think Um, of a happy (laughs) one instead. Um,
0: And because if if the Knicks lose this series, we'll probably never talk to you again. If the Cavs win and they advance, how do they match up with Milwaukee this season? Because they seem to me like Cleveland has Milwaukee has great size. Cleveland has size. Milwaukee has. Um, a great defensive point guard in Holiday, he would be occupied, obviously, with Garland or potentially Mitchell. It seems to me from a distance like that's a matchup maybe even more than Boston and, and maybe Philadelphia. But I'm curious how the Cavs and, and Milwaukee match up in your eyes.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like that question better. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I th- personally, I think Milwaukee is actually the best matchup for Cleveland out of those top three teams. Yeah. I think, yeah, between Mobley and Allen – you get your – those might be two of the best-equipped players to throw at Giannis defensively. Um, yeah, then – yeah, you got one – of, one of the benefits of picking up Donovan Mitchell was just um, giving another target for other teams to um, – have to compensate for defensively, and that frees up Garland a good bit. Drew Holliday is, is a guy who has just been able to completely shut down Garland's game, but in a series against Milwaukee, he'll probably be, be guarding Mitchell, and so that opens up a lot of opportunities for Darius. And see, so yeah, I I wouldn't expect to win that series going into it, but I mean, probably in the same view that you guys have going into this series, I think we have a fighting chance.
0: Do you think if Randall is compromised to where he either misses a game or two, or he plays but he's seventy-five percent, do you, th- are would you still be concerned that the Knicks could win that series, or do you feel like with the teams seemingly very evenly matched in a lot of ways that that might be enough to guarantee like you're good?
1: Yeah, I think I think Randall is a big swing factor in it. Um, I could see him giving the Cavs a lot of issues with how they defend, with how they're constructed. Um, I think, obviously, if you have Obi Toppin next to Mitchell Robinson instead of Julius, um, the Cavs are a lot more comfortable helping off of Obi and just gives them a lot more freedom to do their thing defensively. So I I think with Julius, the Knicks do have a solid shot to make things really tough for the Cavs.
0: Your language is very thoughtful you you didn't say you Ju- <laughs> you said with Julius, I think they can make it tough, so I am guessing you feel very confident that Cleveland will win the series
1: i'd I'd say personally, I am more in that boat yeah i'm yeah. I'm predicting a four two four one series probably, but okay. maybe that's some of my bias showing
0: that. <laughs> No, I mean I think that's I think most people wherever you're leaning, I don't think anybody sees this as a sweep either way. And I think most people would bet it's going six games at least, no matter what happens. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, I think a lot of Knicks fans are also saying Knicks in six, um, which I think is <laughs> I think I do think like, yeah, like it could be just because some of my team loses Super Bowl, <clears throat> some of my team somehow lose to TCU. Saw the Knicks <laughs> look awful against the Hawks, so um, I don't um, don't really feel like unrest. And the truth is, like advanced stats love this Cavs team, um, and the, the, the and the I test likes the Cavs team. Um, I I don't I think that um, I think that there's areas that the Knicks can exploit. How much can they can the offensive rebounding and the ability for Brunson to attack the guards. That's key. if Brunson can get in the paint, um, get good looks as well as open up offensive rebounding opportunities for Mitch. I think that's an area the Knicks have been very comfortable with. Um, I think if they can really win bench units, um, that'd be interesting. I'm very fascinated to see with how Tibbs closes. And I will add this: um, I do think RJ Barrett is a very interesting X factor in this series. Um, on the one hand, it's it feels weird to call a player making a hundred million dollars. Um, <laughs> an X factor, but the reality is the, the Knicks are running a lot through Brunson and Randall. But um, what the Knicks have been really good at with RJ Barrett or where he's really thrived and they've done this, especially against Miami when Tyler hero is on the floor is they will hunt out. Um, they will hunt out the smaller defender. There's um, so a lot of teams will, will hide a guy on someone like Grimes, right? Grimes is still not quite as dynamic off the dribble. Um, so they, if they're, if they're going to hide Tyler hero on, on Quentin Grimes, you screen with Grimes who has been a good screener and he has been a very good outlet, um, on, um, you know, as a role man, just because of the shooting, because he can put the ball on the floor. Um, and I'd be very curious if they put Garland on Grimes, you know, if the Knicks try to attack them, because you can try to do that with, with Brunson, but, you know, Okoro is probably going to be able to avoid switching. And, um, and you know guys like Hart and Quickly are also very capable of attacking. Um, but Barrett is especially good at that bully ball stuff. That, um, and Garland seems pretty strong for his size, but that seems to be an area where the Knicks have thrived. So I definitely think that's a factor. Uh, and I'll ask you this. In terms of Mitchell and Garland, right? We've talked about their defense. Do you think one or either of them is better against like quicker guards or bigger guards? Like, for example, it looked to me like Donovan Mitchell was much more comfortable guarding rj barrett because when barrett would try to you know post him up or whatever uh mitchell was able to wall him off he seems very strong Uh, i don't know if it's a technique issue or what on the other hand like guarding brunson whether it's off of screens or he just it seems like he struggled more with that so is it fair to say garland is better at
1: defending quick defenders and mitchell is better defending
2: strong defenders or they just both inconsistent at both or yeah yeah
1: yeah i think yeah i think you got it right mitchell's a lot better at the um Guarding up onto the bigger defenders, um, obviously just very strong. He's a tank and has that massive wingspan. Um, I think he, nowadays, um, he relies a lot more on his athletic tools rather than the defensive fundamentals. So that probably limits him against the quicker guards. Just not as focused on on the defensive side of the ball in the NBA. Um, Rightfully so, with how massive his offensive load is. So, yeah, I'd expect uh, Mitchell to be matched up with Barrett, and then yeah, Garland's. I think th- the the Cavs have had the most their most success using him as and like a kind of like a a runner, um, just running around on the movement shooters, uh, chasing them around screens, and yeah, I think. Uh, we, we saw him few, a few, couple of weeks ago or a week ago or something when the Cavs played Atlanta. I think he did a pretty good job, matched up with Trey Young, actually. Uh, Cora was out of that game, and uh, he ended up holding Trey to like 6 of 14 shooting or something like that. He's shown flashes of being able to hold his own. Um, just a very small, weak uh, defender, so... Yeah, there there is trouble there and teams have been able to exploit uh, using him as the using him as the defender of the screener. So you're throwing Grimes in there as a screener uh, for a quick pop or something like that will be interesting to see if the Knicks can attack that.
0: To be fair to that last point, I mean we all know Trey Young sucks, so that's not really <laughs> that impressive. Um you know, Kelsey Russo in the Athletic just had a good piece about um, in, interviewed some Knicks, some Pacers, and maybe some Pelicans about guarding Donovan Mitchell. And I had never known this. You just, you just alluded to it, but one, a, a kind of unanimous point everybody made about the challenge of guarding him is how strong he is. That he's really, really like a powerhouse at six one, six two, 6'2", whatever he is. Um, my last question for you is this, Brandon. Um, New York fans are infamously, um, you know, dispassionate about expressing opinions about their head coaches I am wondering in Cleveland we haven't really talked about about Bickerstaff and I know you can't get five feet without Tom Thibodeau somehow being involved in whatever you're saying about the Knicks what is the feel about Bickerstaff for Cavs fans at this point yeah I feel
1: like you know I feel like a typical trend with the NBA and probably all sports is that Team, uh fans of teams are um consistently disappointed with their coaches unless they're the, the very best in the game um mm-hmm. i'd mm-hmm. say that holds true to bicker staff to some extent um yeah. just a lot what of what are
0: what are the what are the praises or and or criticisms of bicker staff
1: yeah yeah the praises definitely would be defensively he's got this Cavs team to compete. Uh, We've seen Kevin Love, Donovan Mitchell, Lowry Markinen just buy in, play the best defense of their careers under him. And yeah, it's it's shown on the floor. He has a tremendous hold on the locker room. Just all the players really respect him and value what he has to say. Um, I think offensively is where the questions come in. Uh, He's... Yeah. I mean, as far as adjustments come, he doesn't have a lot of playoff experience and fans of the Cavs like to nitpick his rotation decisions. Like, uh, -hmm. Oh, a common one is Lamar Stevens. There's a lot of guys who aren't, aren't the biggest fan of Lamar Stevens, but you know, he's a hard worker. He's the, yeah. Rebounds Mm -hmm. coach's son type of player. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. um, just, just the little things. I think fans like to nitpick. Overall, I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I think he could be the one to go, go all the way with Cleveland through this next era. Um, we'll nice. see how that unfolds.
0: Nice. cool.
2: So,
0: um, go ahead, Stacey.
2: before, uh, before we get out of here, so you mentioned before four one four two, we do need an official prediction. Uh, <laughs> Let's throw it to Braden first, Matt. I'm going to need you to do one as well.
0: This will go on your permanent record too. <laughs> so. All right, yeah, I'd say
1: four two Cavs.
0: I think four. I say four three Cavs. Regardless of Randall's health, there. Yes, that's interesting. I think
2: four two Cavs if Randall is hurt, mm-hmm. uh, and four three Cavs if he's not. But if it goes to Game Seven. I like that we have Jalen Brunson. I'll say that. I f- I worry about Donna Mitchell, but I like that we have Jalen Brunson. So uh, either way, I think it's going to be a-, a really fun series.
0: So oh, yeah. I should add i have a I have a prolific double jinx ability, so that may have influenced some of what I just said. Um, Brayden, <laughs> one I I, I do want to slip in one little bonus question, just because you just mentioned him here at the end. Now, I would have been terrified of the cavalier bench if kevin love was still on the team because of just what i know what i know he can do um his experience his everything are cav fans cool with like okay good kevin love enjoy your life in miami is there any sense that they should have held on to him or was it a mutual thing where or he wanted out like how did that all go
1: yeah that was very unexpected um yeah Yeah, if you look at the Cavs now, there's a little bit of a hole in the roster. And it's that 20 20 minutes or so at the backup four where only one of Mobley or Allen is on the floor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't play both of them 48 minutes. Got to get some guy to fill in that gap. Um, And I think earlier on in the season, the Cavs were pretty content with having Dean Wade fill in those minutes with the Mm -hmm. two-way production that he was showing. Um, just committing to a more youthful um, player long term. Um, we've seen him struggle with injuries and not being so consistent lately. So I think that's kind of made the optics of it not look so hot. Um, I it's interesting. It's Kevin Love. It's really he really struggled this year in Cleveland. Um, yeah, I mentioned that. Bicker stuff has gotten him to just commit all in on defensively. Um and I don't think that's wavered much, but he just physically just can't do it anymore. Um just can't really move. He's not that tall, he's six eight about. Um, doesn't close out to corner threes whatsoever. Um and then his shot was just falling off. Um, and offensively, that's pretty much all the value he provides. Not the guy to take much shots inside the arc anymore. Um, yeah. But, I mean, you look at rebounding also. He's obviously a good rebounder, and that's another area that the Cavs are uh-huh. missing him. So I think there that will be interesting to look at this series, um, see how he does in Miami, and see if the Cavs miss him there.
0: Mm-hmm. Stacey, last bonus question for you. We know that two years ago when the Knicks last made the playoffs, um, they had a very... Uh, I'll just I'll say, is there any possibility that in game three, 19,763 at Madison Square Garden will be chanting F Donovan Mitchell <laughs> as he steps onto the floor?
2: Um, I I doubt that. Um, Trey, Trey relished the villain role. Actually... There was. Um, they a- had no choice
0: in it, though. Like
2: Trey literally showed up, and <laughs> everybody's cursing him out. For most of his career, I think he has though. Uh, I think though. It, it was exaggerated against the Knicks. Um But it, Draymond Green actually was on uh, the podcast with Taylor Rooks. It was actually a really good podcast, and he was talking about. She asked him, "Like, you know, do you enjoy being the villain?" And he's like, "Honestly, no. Like, it has its moments, right? When you get to shut people up, but like, you don't know, like people want to be liked, right? It's like you know, it's it's all like so." And he said, you know, like I, he specifically mentioned Trey Young, and he's like, I, I get what he's doing, but I would tell him, like, after a while, like, it takes a toll if you're just hated. I will say, I think Trey Young and his dad kind of like his dad is pretty classy on Twitter. I think they handled it well. But I think it's also, I, I don't think Donovan Mitchell, one, I don't think he would ever really want to be the villain in the same way in New York like he would want to be the guy that rips out Madison Square Garden's hearts but he's not a Reggie Miller type of guy it would be more like um it'd be like more like the way Kobe came back and like he always talked about how he loved playing at the garden but it wasn't to be a, a villain i think if Donovan right. mitchell even by the standards of even by the standards of i'm here i'm here
0: yeah yeah
2: we got you Donovan mitchell even by the standards of normal nba players is a pretty class right yeah. um he's well liked um, you know, dad worked with the Mets for a long time. So understands, you know, polished image and all of that. Uh, that's why it's so shocking to see the things happen with Dylan Brooks. Mm. Um, just because, um, we're to jerk sympathetic to Mitchell just because a Brooks has a, rep- Mitchell has a reputation. <laughs> got to that point where he's just dominating, I think he would get respectful, well, he would get um, the the Knicks fans know when to acknowledge true greatness. He also doesn't foul bait really as much as Trey, so that's another thing. like That annoys a lot of fans just knee-jerk, which Brunson and Quickly are not innocent in this regard, so it's fair for opposing fans to mention that. But I don't think the Knicks are the only fan base that gets annoyed at Trey Young. And then the last thing I'll mention is worse than the booze, worse than Knicks fans chanting fuck Donovan Mitchell in game three is that if he does just dominate this series and the Knicks lose, we're going to have to hear for a long time. Oh, they didn't trade for Donovan Mitchell. (laughs) It's a referendum, which like, it's very stupid, right? The the whole idea, like they would not have added Donovan Mitchell to this roster. probably losing Grimes and quickly and a bunch of picks. Um, Those have been both, pretty important players there's a good chance they don't they don't have the assets to trade for heart um so you have mitchell randall brunson rj and mitch that still would have been a good team do i think that would have been the i mean and they the, the, the Cavs probably wouldn't have been this good so in that sense yeah maybe the knicks would have been like a four seed but i don't think that was a title contender either and the knicks wouldn't have had flexibility so i think making this Series a referendum on the Donald Mitchell trade is unfortunate. Oh, well, at least on our end, I think it's a smashing success for Cleveland, no matter what. But it, like we discussed before, it's a different situation when you have Mobley and Garland, um, both on rookie deals at the time. I know Garland's been extended, but you have those guys, you have picks, you you know, you have um, you have the ability to take that shot, which the Knicks didn't at this point. Um, but um, but like it or not, I think we are going to hear that from certain members of the national media and uh, you know that then the, that this proves that the Knicks should have traded for mitchell and the whole season's a failure blah 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 um but um but i think brunson's gonna come out and and and, and put up a fight too so um so i think that people
0: who watch the series will realize that so. well while nick and cavalier fans will have different rooting interests over the next couple of weeks we can at least all bond over already being tired of whatever Stephen A. Smith will have to say about Donovan <laughs> Mitchell and the Knicks. Braden Todd, I want to thank you very much for joining us on this episode. Please, audience, remember you can follow Braden on Twitter at Bray underscore underscore NBA, um, and there is a Substack coming out too. So if you follow the Twitter, I'm sure you will also receive the Substack info. Unless Elon Musk keeps being a dick and does <laughs> things with Substack that work, but we'll talk about that next episode. Uh, Brayden, good luck to you <laughs> and to your team as long as they don't win very nice to have you on the pod and we will look forward to seeing you again in the future
1: I appreciate it thanks for having me on guys, yeah. I enjoyed it
0: Cool. remember this is the uh, Believe Next podcast, is always presented by Ben Online, it's also presented by me and Stacy, who do all the work thank you everybody, have yourselves a wonderful Tuesday and we will probably talk to you by the weekend uh, peace everybody